Hebrews verse by verse. The New and Living Way. It's part 46. I want to read the title of the text and then make an announcement. The text is Hebrews eleven seventeen to 22. Hebrews eleven seventeen to 22. And the title is, When Faith Seems Unreasonably Challenged. When Faith Seems Unreasonably Challenged. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, quote, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's what God said to Abraham. The he, verse 19, that's Abraham, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And it's wonderful the way our text, dealing with Abraham's test of offering up Isaac, his son, it's interesting, and hope-filled, the way the text in verse 20 shifts to Isaac and talks about what Isaac said to Jacob and Esau, so you already know God keeps his promise. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau when Abraham walked up the mountain. It didn't look like there was any future there at all. 21, by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And then, by faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus, the exodus of the Israelites, and gave directions Concerning his bones. Now think of this text. It's a very uh, carefully crafted text. And there's a reason for that. Abraham is, is a, an extreme example of the kind of situation we all will eventually face as we place our trust in the promises of God. The important words really are found in the last part of 17 and verse 18. And he, this is the way, this is Abraham. And this is the way he's described. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. And then he repeats it. Of whom... This is the son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Notice that description of Abraham. He who had received the promises. 
Notice that description of Isaac in verse 17 as his only son. He, He wasn't the only son Abraham had. But Ishmael and any other sons didn't count. That's the point. God had been very specific in his promise to Abraham. Genesis makes it even clearer. God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac, not Ishmael, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Isaac, Isaac is unique. Isaac is irreplaceable in the plan of God. And God had said as much to Abraham. If you were to look at Genesis 22, 2, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now, don't miss the deliberate tension in our Hebrews text. Our inspired writer very carefully and specifically identifies Abraham. It's in that 17th verse. He who had received the promises. Those promises included descendants like the stars in the heavens and the sands on the seashore. This is the Abraham. This one. The one who had received that promise. This is the Abraham being asked to offer up his only son. The one through all the promises were supposed to be fulfilled. Isaac. He's he's specifically identified Abraham as the receiver of the divine promise. That's what Abraham is famous for, right? Abraham gets the covenant. What God's going to do through Abraham's seed. That's what everybody knows about Abraham. That's how we all identify him. Do you see what's happening here? First, there is where God is taking Abraham in these disturbing circumstances. Go to Moriah. Take Isaac. And second, there's what God had promised Abraham... Through his son Isaac. Only only the two don't line up. The two don't mesh. What God is commanding, where Abraham is going, what he's told to do, does not mesh with what God has promised he was going to do through Isaac. So Abraham's circumstances and the promise of God it looks impossible and so this text I think brims with a kind of hard relevancy what do you what do you do when the circumstances God is taking you through make future blessing look impossible that's the issue for Abraham. What do, what do you do when where God is taking you makes his promise look impossible? Where does faith land when future hope seems lost? I mean, okay, minor setbacks, minor trials, 
we all expect. Life isn't easy. And if you've been around the block a few times, okay, we all know that. But this, this wasn't minor. I mean, this, this is devastating. This represents everything Abraham had come to know about God. And that's not making sense anymore. This isn't a little thing. He began his whole pilgrimage. We looked at it. On the foundation of trusting God's promise future. Get out of your your land, your home, your kindred. Leave it all behind to a place I'll show you. Just go. And Abraham goes in trust. Oh, how he must have rejoiced when against all the physical odds... He and old Sarah gave birth to Isaac just as the Lord had promised. Didn't seem possible. God was good and God was faithful after all. And now this. This Isaac. Everything Abraham had built his life on was was being undone, was coming unglued. There's That's the kind of issue we're dealing with in this great text. Where do you go when it seems there's no longer any place to go? This is no light, breezy text. Look carefully with me at some of the lessons for those times when faith seems stretched beyond reason. Point number one. Faith calculates and computes its way back to foundations when circumstances make no sense. Look at it in Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Well, he never actually offered up, though the text says he, is, he was obedient. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, quote, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. Here's the words. He considered that God was able even to raise him, that's Isaac, from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. It's interesting to see the way the various translations describe this uh, faith activity. This mental uh, activity of Abraham's brain through this whole trial in verse 19. The ESV uses that word considered. The old King James says accounting. The new King James says concluding. The NIV simply says, reasoned. All of these terms, what they do is, they describe, don't miss this. They describe the way Abraham resisted any uncalculated, reflex, emotional response to the situation. Just take that one description in the the old King James. 
accounting. Abraham was accounting that God was able to even raise him from the dead. We all know a little bit about what accounting entails. It, it's a kind of bookkeeping. It's a process. Accounting is a process of not missing anything. Accounting is a process of not glossing over anything without, without due attention. It's a way of making sure that everything is properly figured in. That's what accounting is. And that, that's, that's what Abraham did. Like, people, if you haven't faced it yet, you will. There are times when we can't just waddle through following Jesus in the usual fashion. There are times when faith has to function less like a creed and, and more like a shield. You know, Ephesians 6.16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So it's not just a list of your correct beliefs. What isn't recorded in the biblical text but I think still happened, it's not hard to imagine some of the thoughts Satan insinuated into Abraham's hard situation. I say that because we pretty much have a pattern of Satan's work when he speaks to Eve in the garden, and his strategy really hasn't changed. So I don't think it's an an undue leap that he would have actually been actively engaged in trying to mess up the thinking of Abraham in his situation. With Eve, it's just the instructions from God about not eating the fruit of one tree. And you look at it in Genesis 3, 1 to 5, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, said to the woman... Did, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Which, of course, he never did say that. But now, there's the idea. See, there's the idea. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And even that isn't quite the way it went. But the serpent said to the woman, God's not like that. You shall not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. Satan comes to Eve and says, you've got God all wrong. That's not what God is like. God doesn't act like that. God doesn't say things like that. There's good here. And if Satan casts doubt on the authenticity of God's command not to eat fruit from one tree, imagine his engagement, the ease with which he could slip into this situation where, where God, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his own son 
Surely this command couldn't be from God. God is more loving than that. Abraham's mistaken when he thinks this is what he hears God saying. Theologians like Brian Zahn, Greg Boyd, they say exactly the same thing. I mean exactly the same thing about this account. Read them on Abraham and Isaac. Abraham got it wrong. It was, God never said that. Abraham would be silly to take that command seriously. Abraham must be mistaken. All I'm going to say, folks, is when Satan and your theologians imply the same idea, you have good reason to be cautious. And it's right at this point that Abraham does what Eve failed to do. The text says he starts this considering, this accounting, this accounting process. I mean, he knows, he knows God called him from his land and his kindred and his father's house. He knows that. And he knows he obeyed that call. And Abraham knows that Sarah gave birth to Isaac at nearly 100 years of age. And Abraham knows that divine visitors came to him in the desert. Remember the story? Took him outside, predicted this birth a year before it happened. And Abraham knows, he thinks about the fact, he vividly remembers being taken out, lifted up his head to look at the stars in the night sky, and being told that through Isaac, his descendants would be just as uncountable in number. He figures all of this back into his mind. He still hates what he's been commanded to do. He still loathes his present moral predicament. He still dearly loves his son of promise. And not And not one ounce of the confusion and darkness of his mind has been lifted. But he is taking everything into account. And and here's where he lands. God has not brought him this far for nothing. As As he thinks it all through, Abraham recognizes... Take your son Isaac. And Abraham has to stop and say, you know, I thought about all my dealings with God. The command to leave, not knowing where I was going. The command about Isaac, the the command about God's blessing and descendants like the seashore. And as he walks with Isaac, he's thinking, I don't remember God ever revoking any of those promises. He had to think that. I don't remember God ever saying, by the way, I've changed my mind. All this is going into the account. He recognizes God has not revoked one word of his promised covenant regarding descendants through Isaac. This is the point. This is the point from which Abraham puts one foot in front of the other through the confusion and the darkness. Point number two. Abraham proceeds in obedience with a faith that looks farther down the road than the present darkness. 
Look at Hebrews eleven nineteen. He considered, there's the verb, we looked at that, that God was able even to raise him from the dead. And the reason he lands there is he says, here's the promise. The promise hasn't been changed. But where I'm going makes the promise impossible. God must do something else. And all that there is left is he will raise, he will raise Isaac from the dead. Nowhere else to go. Here's another important principle. There is a huge difference. There is a huge difference between solving a dilemma and looking beyond the dilemma. The two are not the same thing. Abraham has no solution to this dilemma. What he does is, he looks beyond it. Well, then God will have to raise him from the dead. Faith has its limitations. Abraham is in a situation that can't be solved. I mean, he can't find a reason for what he knows God is calling him to do. This isn't something to be figured out. But he can look farther down the road. He can look to a moment when God could raise Isaac from the dead. We'll never know for sure, because the text doesn't say what it is that prompted Abraham's thinking and his remark in Genesis 22.5. And he says to his servants, Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. And these beautiful words. I and the boy... We'll go over there and worship and come again to you. I love that. He's got the promise. It's all he has. No evidence. He's got the command. The situation that he's in, there's nothing but confusion and darkness. This promise, though, looks over here, the boy and I will, will come back. The boy and I will come back. And if Abraham and the boy were going to return, then the boy would have to be raised from the dead. And if these servants were to see Abraham and the boy return, the resurrection would have to be a physical resurrection, not some spiritual symbolic one. Of course, Abraham hasn't been promised any sort of resurrection for Isaac at all. Not the way we have the promise of resurrection. But still, Abraham's faith is, it's an accounting faith. It's a considering faith. It's a calculating faith. It's a faith that has a definite future promised. And sometimes the present gets so muddied and muddled and dark... That the future promise is all you have left. It's all you have left. You may never learn a more important lesson on faith than this. If there is nothing in your present circumstances that makes sense, 
If there is nothing in your present circumstances but confusion and darkness all around you, you need to look farther down the road. When you can't see the hand of God in your present, trust his promise for your future. Write it down. When you can't see God's hand in your present, trust his promise for your future. 2 Corinthians. This is Paul. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, stuff gnawing at your outward self. Gnawing at it. Gobbling it up. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's a process. How does it work? Well, it works day by day by day by day by day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. How's that work? 18. As, as we look not to the things that are seen. What does he see? Well, he already told that in verse 16. Here's what he sees. Our outer self is wasting away. There's no evidence of victory here. Don't look at that. As we, 18, look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. All of them. The things that are unseen, well, they're eternal. There is a sure way to lose heart in this world. A sure way to lose heart in this world. It's never an easy thing not to look at your body as it wastes away. It's never an easy thing not to look at relationships that are severed and torn. It's never an easy thing not to look at prayers that aren't answered. It is never an easy thing not to look at the things that bring fear and fatigue and confusion. It is never an easy thing not to look at a struggle that never seems to end. That's how you lose heart. The truth of the matter is this. We all know it. But not one of us gets out of bed every morning and says it the way we need to say it. There's something you need to say to yourself. You may be here and you're a millionaire. You may be here and you're on welfare. You may be here and you have the best health in the building. You may be here and you have limited time left. The truth is there is nothing 
but loss ahead for any of us in the things seen. Did you get it? There is nothing ahead for any of us but loss in the things seen. Look farther down the road. That's what you have to do. Romans 5, 5. Hope does not disappoint us. You have, you have, wherever you are right now, you have nothing, nothing but an undisappointing future ahead with Jesus Christ. You have nothing but an undisappointing future ahead with Jesus Christ. There will be no sadness in it. There will be no confusion in it. There will be no parting in it. Paul says that the groaning of this present creation, we're a part of it. He says it will end. Faith, faith always has this future, even when faith doesn't have any answers. Our writer has his own way of emphasizing God's promised future. Because immediately, after talking about Abraham's account with Isaac, he, he wants us to see the way he rushes past and says, by faith, Isaac must have come down the mountain. Invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his 12 sons. Now you're moving another generation on. Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Of course, old Abraham can't see any of that as he trudges up the mountain with Isaac. But nothing of this whole future plan was ever out of God's hand for one second. Three, and we're almost done. Great saints have always had the same kind of faith as Abraham. Hebrews eleven twenty two, last text. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. What were the directions? Well, the directions were, when God delivers you from Egypt, don't you dare leave my bones in Egypt. That's what he said. When God delivers us from you from Egypt, I'm sorry if this grosses you out, Get my bones. I don't care which box they have them in. Get all of them. Put them in a cart. And make sure they go over the border into God's promised future. He never saw that happen, of course. Joseph died. Well, that promise was totally unfulfilled. Never saw it. 
Let me give you two faith lessons from Joseph, okay? Two minutes each, two and a half. A, Joseph never fell in love with Egypt, which is amazing. He had all the wealth and power. It wasn't hypothetical. He had it. He was a man of incredible power, incredible wealth, incredible influence. He spoke, and it was done in Egypt. And none of the comforts of Egypt made him happy to call it home. It is never easy to live like a refugee when you have everything your heart desires. This, though it's summed up in one verse and nobody thinks of it this way, this is the greater trial of faith than Abraham's in offering Isaac. Joseph's faith was great because it overruled all the self-destructive desires of his heart. Everything that he could have had, he had the wisdom to say, but the things that are seen are transient. The second faith lesson, Joseph died never seeing Israel's deliverance from Egypt. But that didn't stop him from thinking about it. There's nothing more beautiful in today's text than this. We, we should all make note of it as we await our coming exodus. Either Jesus is going to come or you're going to die. But in terms of continuing just like this, let me give you a newsflash. No one in this room, not one of us is getting out alive. Not one. Just like Abraham, Joseph's faith was looking farther down the road. Abraham, he's got this command about Isaac. It's troubling, confusing, disturbing. He doesn't get any answers, but he looks farther down the road. He knows the promise the boy and I are going to come back. Joseph is there in Egypt. He's got prestige, position, power, everything you could want. But he knows way back, Abraham was told they're going to go into Egypt and they're going to come out of Egypt. And, and, and Joseph just says, that's, that's going to come and that's what I'm living for. There is a more real future coming. It's eternal. It matters more than anything else you're thinking about at the present moment. Be like Jesus and keep your heart set, locked in on the joy that is set before you. You got that inward GPS? Put a destination in it. kingdom and then set as destination right and then start guidance we know how that works and then follow all the instructions until you hear you have arrived gates are on the right let's pray